Chapter 18 of Brood of the Dark Moon by Charles Diffin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Besieged. I've felt it for some time, Jack confessed. I've wakened and known I've been dreaming about the damnable thing, and although it sounds like the wildest sort of insanity, I have felt that there was something, some mental force, that was reaching out for our minds, searching for us. Well, if there's anything like that. He was about to say that the trail made by Christ and the apes who tracked him would have given this other enemy a direction to follow. But Christ himself dropped down beside Chet, where he and Walt sat before the front of Diane's shelter. The pilot did not finish the sentence. Christ had meant it for the best. There was no use of rubbing it in. But the thing in the pyramid would never be fooled as Schwartzmann and the apes had been. Chet had told Kreiss of the attack and had shown him the body of the ape-man. Council of War, he explained, as Kreiss rejoined them, but he corrected himself at once. No, not war. We don't want to go up against that bunch. Our job is to plan a retreat. Harkness turned to look inside the hut. Diane, old girl, he asked, how about it? Are you going to be able to make a long trip? Within the shelter, Chet could see Diane's hands drawn into two hard little fists. She would force those tight hands to relax while she lay quietly in the dark, and then again they would tremble, and unconsciously the nervous tension would be manifested in those white-knuckled little fists. For all of them the shock had been severe. It was hardest on Diane. She answered now in a voice whose very quietness belied her brave words. Any time, any place, she told Walt, and, and the farther we go, the better. Quite right, Harkness agreed. I am satisfied that there is something that we can never combat. We don't know what it is, and God help anyone who ever finds out. How about it, Chet? And you too, Kreiss, do you agree that there is no use in staying here and trying to fight it out? I do not agree, the scientist objected. My work, experiments I have collected, would you have me abandon them? Must we run in fear because an anthropoid ape has come into this clearing? And if there are more, we have our barricade. Our weapons are crude but effective, and I might add to them with some ideas of my own should occasion demand. Listen, Chet commanded, that anthropoid ape is nothing to be afraid of. You're right on that. But he came from the pyramids, Kreiss, and there's something there that knows every foot of ground that messenger went over. There's something in that pyramid that can send more ape-men, that can come itself, for all that I know, and that can knock us cold in half a second. It's found us. One arrow went straight, thank God. It has given us a stay of execution. But is that damnable thing in the pyramid going to let it go at that? You know the answer as well as I do. It has probably sent twenty more of those messengers who are on their way this minute. I am telling you, and we've got two days at the most before they get here. Kreiss still protested. But my work. It's ended, snapped Chet. Stay if you want to. You'll never finish your work. The rest of us will leave in the morning. Towahg will be back here tonight. Nothing much to get together, he told Harkness. I'll see to it. You stay with Diane. Their bows 
a store of extra bone-tipped arrows and food, as Chet had said, there was not much to prepare for their flight. They had spent many hours in arrow-making. There were bundles of them stored away in readiness for an attack, and Chet looked at them with regret. But he knew they must travel fast and light. Out of his rocky laboratory, Christ came at dusk to tramp slowly and moodily down to the shelters. I shall leave when you do, he told Chet. Perhaps we can find some place, some corner of this world, where we can live in peace. But I had hoped, I had thought. Yes, Chet queried. What did you have on your mind? The gas, the scientist replied. I was working with a rubber latex. I had thought to make a mask, improvise an air pump, and send one of us through the green gas to reach the ship. And there was more that I hoped to do. But, as you say, my work is ended. Bully for you, said Chet admiringly. The old bean keeps right on working all the time. Well, you may do it yet. We may come back to the ship. Who can tell? But just now, I am more anxious about Towog. Right now, when we need him the most, he fails to show up. The ape-man was seldom seen by day, but always he came back before nightfall. His chunky figure was a familiar sight as he slipped soundlessly from the jungle where the shadows of approaching night lay first. But now Chet watched in vain at the arched entrance to the leafy tangle. He even ventured after dark within the jungle's edge and called and hallowed without response. And this night the hours dragged by where Chet lay awake, watching and listening for some sign of their guide. Then dawn and golden arrows of light that drove the morning mist in lazy whirls above the surface of the lake. But no silent shadow form came from among the distant trees. And without Towahg... Might as well stay here and take it standing, was Chet's verdict, and Harkness nodded assent. Not a chance, he agreed. We might make our way through the forest after a fashion, but we would be slow doing it and the brutes would be after us, of course. They made all possible preparations to withstand a siege. Chet, after a careful, listening reconnaissance, went into the jungle with bow and arrows, and came back with three of the beasts he had called moon pigs. Other trips, with Christ as an assistant, resulted in a great heap of fruit that was placed carefully in the shade of a hut. Water they had an unlimited supply. How they would stand off an enemy who fought only with the terrible gleam of their eyes, no one of them could have said. But they all worked, and Diane helped too, to place extra bows at points where they might be needed, and to put handfuls of arrows at the firing platforms spaced at regular intervals along the barricade. Chet smiled sardonically as he saw Herr Kreiss laboring mightily and alone to rig a catapult that could be turned to face in all directions. But he helped to bring in a supply of round stones from a distance down the shore, though the picture of this medieval weapon being effective against those broad sides of mental force was not one his mind could easily paint. And then Towahg came. Not the silent, swiftly leaping figure that moved on muscles like coiled steel springs. This was another Towahg who dragged a bruised body through the grass 
until Harkness and Chet reached him and helped him to the barricade. Goranga, he growled. It was a sound he made before when he had seen or tried to tell them of the ape-men. Goranga, Goranga, he pointed about him, as if to say, there and there and there. Yes, yes, Chet assured him, we understand. You met up with a pack of them. Whereupon Towahg, with his monkey mimicry, gave a convincing demonstration of himself being seized and beaten, and the tooth marks on nearly every inch of his body gave proof of the rough reception he had encountered. Then he showed himself escaping, running, swinging through the trees till he came to the camp, and now he raised his bruised body to a standing position and motioned them toward the forest. Goranga, come, he warned them, and repeated it over again, while his face wrinkled in fear that told plainly of the danger he had seen. Chet glanced at Harkness, and knew his own gaze was as disconsolate as his companion's. He met up with them, he admitted, though for the life of me I can't see how he ever got away if it was a crowd of messenger apes who could petrify him with one look. There's something strange about that, but whatever it is, here's our guide in no shape to travel. Towahg was growling and grimacing in an earnest effort to communicate some idea. His few words and the full power of his mimicry had been used to urge them on, to warn them that they must flee for their lives, but it seemed he had something else to tell. Suddenly he leaped into his grotesque dance, though his wounds must have made it an agonizing effort. But his joy in the thought that had come to him was too great to take quietly. He knew how to tell Chet. And with a protruded stomach, he marched before them as a well-fed German might walk, and he stroked at an imaginary beard in reproduction of an act that was habitual with one they had known. Schwartzman asked Chet. He had used the name before when he and Towahg had led their enemy's army off the trail. You have seen Schwartzman? And Towahg leaped and capered with delight. Schwar, he growled in an effort to pronounce the name. Schwar, come. Chet made a wild leap for their bows and supplies. Come on, he shouted. That's the answer. It isn't the ones from the pyramid. They're coming later. It's Schwartzman and his bunch of apes. They followed the messenger. They're on their way. And in spite of his being all chewed up, Towahg can travel faster than that crowd. He'll guide us out of this yet. He was thrusting bundles of supplies, food, arrows, bows, into the eager hands of the others, while Towahg alternately licked his wounds and danced about with excitement. Diane's voice broke in upon the tense haste and bustle of the moment. She spoke quietly. Her tone was flat, almost emotionless, yet there was a quality that made Chet drop what he was holding and reach for a bow. We can't go, Diane was saying. We can't go. Poor Towahg. He couldn't tell us how close they were on his trail. He hurried us all he could. Chet saw her hand raised. He followed with his eyes the finger that pointed toward the jungle, and he saw, as had Diane, the flick of moving leaves, where black faces showed silently for an instant and then vanished. They were up in the trees, lower, down on the ground. 
There were scores upon scores of the ape-men spying upon them, watching every move that they made. And suddenly, across the open ground, where the high-flung branches made the great arch that they called the entrance, a ragged figure appeared, the figure of a man whose torn clothes fluttered in the breeze, whose face was black with an unkept beard, whose thick hand waved to motion other scarecrow figures to him, and who laughed loudly and derisively that the three quiet men and the girl on the knoll might hear. Guten Tag, mein Herr Schlafen, Schwartzmann called loudly. Mein sehr gehörten Herr Schlafen, you must not be so exclusive. Many guten friends have I here with me. I have been looking forward to this time when they would meet you. End of chapter 18